Welcome to the Cook Coterie Podcast. I'm Marie, and today's episode is one that I did with Richard Osla, aka Papa Osla, on his podcast called Listen, Learn, and Love. Richard is the author of Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Culture, and he had me on his podcast to talk about my experiences growing up in a narcissistic family in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Take a listen. Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. We've done 500 plus episodes and we're tackling a subject we've never talked before on this podcast platform and that that's kind of cool in a way and I'm with you, probably will learn some things I've never learned or understood before um, with my guest. Her name is Marie Ellis Cook. Welcome to the podcast, Marie. Thank you so much for having me, Papa Osler. And um, we're going to talk about I can't even say this word correctly. I'm going to give it a try, and Marie's going to help me. Narcissistic? Yes, that's correct. And um, specifically narcissistic parents. Um, Marie has been walking this road with a narcissistic mother, and um, she has felt impressed to talk about this so that it will help others that are children of narcissistic parents and also perhaps parents that don't recognize these tendencies or behaviors within them. I will probably learn some things. I don't consider myself a narcissistic parent, but I may have strains of some of these tendencies. So I would invite you, if you're a parent or a future parent, to learn with me on the things that Marie will share. And perhaps some of us will be kind of sparked in a way that we need to look inward and significantly change things within us so that we can support our children and others around us in a better way with the things Marie shares. Uh, by background, Marie um, grew up in Singapore. Um, her parents are converts to the church. She grew up in a family, obviously, that's LDS. She's a married mother of one. She has a degree from BYU-Idaho in her late 20s, and her degree is in communications. Um, her Instagram that we'll link to in the show notes, um, will you tell us how to find your name of your Instagram account? Yes. My Instagram handle is Marie Ellis Cook. M-A-R-I-E-E-L-L-I-S-C-O-O-K. And the name of your Instagram account, it's got your picture there, but like all Instagram accounts, it has a name. It's Narcissistic Abuse Recovery. Yes, that's correct. And as I've scrolled through this today, um, there's a lot of wonderful things on here. So um, our prayers, this podcast will help you. Um, if you're a local leader, a parent, a youth, an adult, and just improve family relationships, um, you're also a coach. Talk a little bit about your 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 work as a, as a certified recovery coach. Yes. So I was in therapy for over six years, and it wasn't until I worked with a life coach myself that my recovery and healing process just was expedited like crazy. And I started looking into coaching myself because I couldn't really find a lot of Asian coaches and narcissism is ingrained in Asian culture. And so I wanted to be able to fill that need by becoming a coach myself and being able to help other Asians or Asian Americans who struggle with narcissistic family members. That's very helpful and very insightful. And your, act, your station with the church is Active LDS? Yes. And tell our listeners a little bit why you're interested in LDS clients. 
I think in the church, because we do believe that families can be together forever, we sometimes ignore or dismiss abusive behavior for the sake of our family and keeping it intact. And when we do that, sometimes we actually sacrifice ourselves in the process. And I've learned through my own healing from my family that you can forgive someone and not have a relationship with them. And that concept, when I first learned that, seemed a bit radical, you know, because in the church we're taught to make amends, to fix things. But I've realized that it is okay to wait for the next life to fix certain relationships and that all the heat shouldn't be on me to fix my family. That's why we have a savior who atoned for us and I'm not the savior of my family. Jesus Christ is. That's a great segment. It makes me even more excited for the rest of the things you're going to share. Um, and I think one of the things you mentioned before we went live is some LDS people, because they have a narcissistic parent, don't kind of reconcile that. So they leave the church because they can't reconcile just a family relationship like you decide. And I think you're trying to help clients that want to stay in the church be able to stay in the church and also create boundaries with other family members in the church. Do you want to expand more on that? Yeah, I would love to. The thing with being in a narcissistic or an enmeshed family, an enmeshed family is really just a family that lacks boundaries and roles are blood where children play the role of the parent and the parent's more like a child that needs to be taken care of. And with being a member of the church, at the end of the day, we do have our agency. And as we do the hot work of looking at ourselves and looking at the way we use our agency in our home and being an example to our children instead of it being a one-sided relationship where the children has to obey the parents no matter what and the parents can treat the children however they want and I want to be able to help not only LDS people, but as particularly other Latter-day Saint women who may have attracted a narcissistic spouse because she might have grown up with a narcissistic parent, and that's something that's very common. We are very empathetic and very highly sensitive people. I am quite sensitive at times, and being able to use that as a strength and not allow the way that we grew up to deter our opportunities and chances to be able to live happy, loving lives. That's great. Thank you for that introduction, Marie. Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. We've touched on that a little bit, but go mm -hmm. a little bit more on your upbringing. Yeah, I would love to. So I was born and raised in Singapore. It's a small country in Southeast Asia. If you're not familiar with it, it is a city state. So if you ever have to send mail to Singapore, you have to write Singapore three times because the city is the country and the country is the city. It's very small. We only have one stake. And President Nelson recently announced that we will be having a temple, which is amazing considering we only have one stake and 
to think that we are ready for that is is just something to be grateful for. I loved growing up in the church. It wasn't always butterflies and roses, but the church definitely saved me from myself in many ways when I was growing up. And I did want to mention that I grew up with my grandparents living with me and my grandma is from China. She came to Singapore when she was a little girl and one of my earliest memories that I wanted to share with you is that my grandma would do my hair every day and went to to go to school and there was this one day she said Marie you're so beautiful but too bad you're only half human and I didn't understand what she meant by that so I asked her and this conversation was in Cantonese that's her mother tongue and I asked her what she meant by that and she said well because your father is a white american my dad is american because he is american and your mom is chinese you're only half human because when you're chinese that's the pure race that's the good race and any other race that isn't chinese is either evil or they're the devil or a ghost and when you're a child and you hear something like that from someone that you love and look up to it's really really hurtful but i didn't have the vocabulary to say that i was hurt i i believed her i believed that there was something wrong with me because i was mixed race and growing up with my grandma and my mother who would criticize other people that way I thought it was normal and now I know that it was racism but when you're a child you accept your how your family is because that's all you know you assume that every family is like this and as I grew up in the church and made friends in seminary and when I became a teenager, that was when my eyes started to open a little bit as I started to have a sense of self that something was kind of off in my family and I didn't know why I, I always just felt that, that way. I, always, I was always in a state of confusion when, for example, I would meet with my bishop or talk to a young woman leader and tell then what's going on in my home, I would just get the most cruel verbal lashings from my mother saying how inappropriate it is to talk about our family problems. And it, it would always boil down to how could you tell the bishop or your Laura advisor what's going on in our home, it's private, you know, and... I yell at you because I care about you and I'm trying to help you. And it was always this misuse of love and safety. Now as an adult, I can see that it was more about control and her protecting her image, that it was more important to her to appear like a good mother to church leaders and members of the church than to actually be one. And growing up it was a very lonely experience growing up in my home like I would 
I loved going to church activities. I loved going to youth conference because people would see me and ask me about my opinion on things. And I never would get that at home. I Now that I'm a mother, it, it, would, it was definitely very triggering when I first had my son because newborns, they cry, right? Even if they're dry, they're clean, they are fed, they will still cry for some reason. And when I would hear my son's screams and crying like that, it would remind me of me being a child and I would be crying for hours and hours. And I lived in a home with four other adults and I would be ignored. And that's something that, that, was, that was really hard for me growing up. Thanks for your courage to kind of share some of that with us. Um, I'd love you either now, if you want to do it, or later in the podcast, just for someone like me, perhaps, and others, that what is the definition of a nar- nar- narcissistic parent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would love to share. I actually brought... Because I know as a parent, I make mm-hmm. mistakes, and all parents do, and I recognize sometimes I want people to have a good impression about me and our kids, and some of that would be normal, but some of it's narcissistic. Sorry, listeners, you know I'm not very good with big words. We had big word on last podcast, and I just struggle with big words, so hang with me. But go ahead, Marie. Yeah, so what I'm about to share is from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM. This is what my third therapist shared with me. I was in therapy for a while before I even learned about narcissistic personality disorder. And when she shared this with me, it felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders because I finally had the vocabulary to explain my family's behavior. So there are nine traits of narcissism and narcissism is on a spectrum. So someone could have a few narcissistic traits and then on the other side of the spectrum is full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. So the first one is has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without achievements. Number two is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Number five, has a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or compliance with his or her expectations. Number six is interpersonally exploitative, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. Number seven lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Number eight is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of her. Nine shows arrogance, haughty behaviors or attitudes. That's very helpful. And, um, and maybe you said this, you just listed nine things. Does somebody have to have all nine to have narcissistic personality disorder? Or is it, a, or is it there's like five qualifies or is it unique to every person? 
and maybe every therapist diagnosis of that person. Mm-hmm. The American Psychological Association says that you need to have at least five of the nine to qualify for the personality disorder. And so listeners, I think as I heard that list, I recognized things within me that perhaps are areas that would fit that. Um, And I share that in grace to you because maybe all of you felt the same way as some of those things caused us to cringe. Maybe for you, none of those caused you to cringe, but I'm aware that in my own life, perhaps I've had some of those in a but not in the extent that you're talking about as a narcissistic personality disorder. So I just invite us all to be open to where we are on this spectrum. Um, And thank you for that excellent definition. When we know better, we do better. Um, Keep, yeah. um, Another question is you're open about your mom. Um, Some people would say you shouldn't talk about your family situation and What's your relationship with your mom if you're being open about her narcissistic um, role in your life? And it sounds like you've created a boundary with your mom. Do you want to just address that right now for our listeners that might be wondering about your relationship with your mom and why you're willing to be open about this? Sure. I think one of the reasons why I am open about it now is because I don't have a relationship with her right now. And I also don't have a relationship with my dad. And... The thing is, when people hear about that, sometimes they think that I'm doing that to punish her or hurt her, which couldn't be further from the truth. Really, I am putting myself first and protecting myself. It's been wonderful, really, not having a relationship with her. I still do get nightmares of her yelling at me from when I was a child that I don't know how long it will take for those to go away. But the thing with narcissistic people is that because it, all, it is on a spectrum, you don't really know if they will change or not unless you try and ask them. And I have been asking my mother to get professional help for many years now. And as far as I know, she hasn't gotten help and she doesn't feel like she's done anything wrong to me. And... I've accepted that. I don't need her approval. I don't seek her validation anymore the way I used to when I was younger. And if you're listening and you might have a narcissistic parent, I just want to say that you're not a bad person if you don't want to have a relationship with your parent. That was a great segment, and it really fit with your earlier segment where you talked about some relationships won't be fixed on the next life. And um, that's just the reality of mortality. And I think culturally, and perhaps there's been some church talks over the years that sort of imply we should do all we can to solve a relationship, and it's on us if we can't forgive and move on and keep the relationship. But I think we're learning that we need to have boundaries and you can be a deeply committed Latter-day Saint with incredible Christ-like attributes and have a boundary with a family member. And it's actually out of love and out of being a, and strong and what I think the Savior would want us to do to protect ourselves and others around us now that you're a mother and a, and a wife. That's just kind of my feeling. To, I don't know if you want to talk more about that concept. I think that when we 
heal ourselves and do the the hot inner work of really looking at ourselves and holding up a mirror it can be so incredibly uncomfortable and the blessing of having the gospel in my life is having that reminder that I'm not alone in trying to change things in trying to get rid of toxic traits that I have learned from my family and I'll be honest with you I used to be a toxic person and I always thought that there was something wrong with me and that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to get married because after my mission I started dating and my mission was an incredible experience I served on Temple Square in Salt Lake and with all these incredible beautiful women from all around the world who loved me for me and I didn't think I would cry but it's like happy tears I'm so grateful for my mission because growing up with a narcissistic mother I was taught to compete with women and that if someone is beautiful or smart that that meant less for me and serving with these incredible women who taught me so much helped me to see that I was worthy of love and I was worthy to find an eternal companion because at that point in time I did not want to get married if all marriages were like my parents I did not want to get married I did not want to bring innocent children into the wall and yell at them and scream at them and tell them that they're an inconvenience because that was my experience and I thought that that was normal and so I started dating and I was dating a great guy in Rexburg and after I guess you would call like the honeymoon infatuation stage as our relationship progressed I started getting really aggressive with him verbally and I would yell at him sometimes and I realized that I was treating him the way I saw my mother treat my father and eventually he broke up with me and I was really really hurt I didn't understand why he wouldn't just let it go and that was when I decided to see a therapist and she helped me see that the behavior that I was exposed to growing up was not okay. Like most normal, happy marriages don't have the two spouses screaming at each other. And it made me feel so much guilt for hurting someone that I deeply cared about. But it was a learning opportunity for me to accept that I grew up the way that I grew up and yeah I did learn these bad habits and bad traits from my family but if I was willing to do the work I could actually have a peaceful life that's a great segment too I want to come back to that um and just the courage to see therapy well let me ask the question that's on my mind right now is if there's somebody out there that wants to break the cycle, 
and knows they can't do this on their own and and even t- sometimes we turn to spiritual behaviors to solve things like this I'll read more I'll pray more I'll serve more but we often need other skills that a therapist would help us learn I've been to a therapist twice in my life and I've recognized that a therapist has helped me in a in a very unique way because of her, in, in her qualifications my question is, how does somebody know that they need therapy in this space, and what kind of a therapist would they find that has expertise? Yeah, that's a great question. There are therapists who do specialize in narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. Not saying that you have to seek them out, but just for listeners to know that there are therapists who do specialize in that. I, to be honest, I think that everyone should see a therapist. I, one of my really good friends, she was my district leader on my mission and she's from Singapore as well. She advised me to see a marriage counselor before my husband and I got married and we did. And it was amazing because it really helped set our marriage on a good foundation. And it also gave me comfort that I was really healed enough to be married because I definitely do not want to treat my husband in a harsh way even the way that I did to that boyfriend that I had mentioned earlier I never ever want to treat anyone like that ever again and sometimes we have to have a third party opinion because when you're in your family and the dynamic is all that you're used to, you think that that's normal. And until you go out into the world and you interact with other people and they can show you a different path. So I would strongly recommend for someone who is thinking about therapy to go and seek one out anyway. And if you don't want to see a therapist, find safe people that you can confide in. That was something that really helped me because I started sharing my experiences with my mother to other family members and they would either invalidate me or tell me that I'm too sensitive. And so as I started finding safe people, whether it was a church leader, a roommate, people from my mission, there are people who will believe your story and help you get the resources you need. Like I had a roommate who walked to the BYU Idaho Center Health Center with me because I was terrified. I was terrified to ask for help. And if only she knew how much it meant to me that I wasn't alone in going to get help. Wow. I'm just deeply moved with that friend that knew you needed someone to walk physically with you. I've been interacting with the BYU-Idaho Counseling Service on their Instagram account, and they've been, I'm interacting with me a little bit, and there's a lot of wonderful people there, but I love what your friend did. I love your courage to serve a mission and come to Temple Square. My wife and I love going to Temple Square and seeing the missionaries from all the world, all over the world there, and you have your fla- you have your name badge with your flag, and we try to recognize the flags, And but I love that you were self-aware enough that know that your family experience was not the norm as you got exposure to other families. And I love that you were self-aware enough that I want to break the cycle here. And this is not what I want for my family. And that boyfriend that you cared about 
recognizing that you needed to look inward and change things within you. I think it's so easy um, for us to look to the other person that needs to change, and it's really hard sometimes. And there's no real sin involved here. It's not like the things you needed to change were like repentance sin-related, but they were learned behaviors you needed to unlearn that were just sort of innocently brought into you because of your upbringing. And I love the idea of boundaries. I, you know, we do have a commandment that says love our neighbors ourself, and but I don't think that applies to toxic relationships. And I think we have to do what you did is is break free of toxic relationships and create boundaries. And that's what I think our Savior would want us to do to be able to be the people we want to be in our lives. Um, there's a couple questions. Just I'm going to just ask you to see if you want to circle back. Um, I don't know if you want to talk with our listeners more about why you decide to serve a mission or talk more about your life after a mission, um, either of those two. Do you want to talk more about either of those two? Sure, I love to talk about why I decided to serve a mission. I never thought that I would serve a mission, but when I was a freshman at BY-Idaho, I was diagnosed with a tumor in my breast and I decided to go back to Singapore to have it removed. And when I was waking up from the general anesthesia, I had this really loud voice in my head saying, you need to get your patriarchal blessing. And growing up in Singapore, it's quite common to get your patriarchal blessing when you're older. I know in the U.S., a lot of my American friends, they like got it when they were 12. And I'm like, wow, like that, that's really young. And anyway, so I decided to get my patriarchal blessing. And it's really, really long. It's three and a half pages. And there's a whole page about my mission. And I felt like if I didn't go, I wouldn't be able to see all the things in this page fulfilled. And one of the things it says that it will teach me how to have a traditional Latter-day Saint home. And at that point in time, I still had no desire to get married. And I did not know what a traditional Latter-day Saint home meant. I, have no, I had no idea what that meant. So I just kind of ignored it. And now looking back and going on my mission really showed me what a happy family can be like because that's what I I desperately wanted but I had put my God up and I felt unwanted and unloved by my family and so I had decided that I didn't want that even though I secretly did and with serving my mission and being at BYU-Idaho and being exposed to traditional Latter-day Saint families where there's open communication, there's kindness. When there are disagreements or conflict, it's handled in a respectful, civil way. That's what I wanted. And I wanted to add to what I said earlier about finding safe people. After I had, after I had broken up, well, he broke up with me. <laughs> I will say that clearly. After this guy had broken up with me and I really wanted to not have another relationship like that where I would lash out verbally. I would ask my bishops, their wives, like when you and your husband have a conflict, how do you handle it? I would ask anyone that I trusted, you know, anyone older than me who 
who seemed to be in a happy marriage so I could learn, so that I could change myself. I love that. It's really courageous the road you've been on to break this cycle, and I think it gives others hope, whatever cycle they need to break, that they can do it. And um, and it won't just perpetuate itself through the generations. Do you want to talk any more about your life after your mission? Yes, I I did want to mention that when I did go to the Butte Idaho Counseling Center, I had a great session with this therapist. And if you have been to a therapist before, it's quite common for them to ask you about your family of origin, your upbringing, what your earliest memories are, because our childhood really does shape our adult life and my therapist said your mother is not a safe person for you and I was shocked I had never a thought like that had never crossed my mind in my life and even though things were always kind of up and down with my mother she was still my mother and I loved her dearly and I went back to my apartment and got on the phone with my mother and she asked me how my day was and what I did And I told her that I decided to see a therapist because I cry all the time. I was sleeping a lot. And one of my roommates was like, you might have depression. And in Singapore, mental health has such a stigma to it, especially in Asian culture. And growing up with a grandma who is from China, like she taught me that if you have a mental illness, that you were cursed by some kind of demon And so the thought of me having depression or anxiety was just such a foreign concept to me. And I shared with my mother that the therapist said that she's not a safe person for me. And my mother was extremely upset. And and I don't blame her. But at the same time, though, the interaction did become worse because she started saying that I'm not depressed, I don't have an anxiety disorder, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, and she said that Americans just always get prescribed pills and different things, and that there's actually nothing wrong with me, and that I don't need these pills, and, and then... I said, but what if I really need it, you know? Like, I was trying to get her to see from my point of view, just like I had done all my life, just begging her to try to see from my point of view. But she was very insistent that I didn't need help and that God would help me and that I need to pray harder. And then she also said, what would people think? What would people think if they knew you had depression? Like, our family is strong. You know, we love the gospel. We are disciples of Christ. Like, we can handle this in our own way. You don't need to see a therapist. And then I didn't go for a year after that. And I was struggling with suicidal thoughts. I had so many friends around me but I never felt so alone. And my parents were so far away and yet I still felt so controlled by them. And so I decided to go 
to the BY Idaho Counseling Center again. And I still could hear my mother's voice saying, what would people think? And at that time, I was a student leader on campus. And so I had a hoodie and sunglasses. And I would walk up the hill because I didn't want anyone to recognize me. I had my face covered. And I, and I never looked back. And, I, and this time, I had learned my lesson, and I didn't tell her that I was going. That's a great, great story of courage. And um, it helps us understand just kind of sometimes the culture of the church. It says we're strong, Puritan, we can do it on our own. Um, sometimes we refer to the private religious behaviors that can get us over the hurdle, like prayer, scripture study. But this is, you know, we solve spiritual issues with spiritual tools and emotional issues with emotional tools. Um, I'm thinking back, listeners, I don't want to talk too much. I want to make sure, Marie, but, um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast I've been to a therapist twice, and I've I've wondered, because my own dad, while serving as a stake president and a noted business leader, our family went through a hard time, you know, in my teens um, with some of the family dynamics, and he took us all to therapy. I remember going as a teenager, as a family, we went to therapy. I still remember the name of the therapist, and I wasn't too connected. You know, it really didn't involve me, and I wasn't the one sort of, I was sort of in the middle of just the family dynamics and glad to go to therapy, but it didn't really affect me in a negative or positive way, except I just realized, Marie, it normalized therapy for me, and it took the shame out of it, because here's this person that I tremendously love and respect that I recognize is sort of, you know, doing really well, measured by, I don't want to sort of say doing well because of his church calling, but just a respected guy of our community that was humble enough to recognize we as a family need skills that I can't offer. And it was a great moment of sort of humility, and and I recognize that's helped me as I've reached out to a therapist a couple times. So that's just a little story from our family. Um, here's a question that we, I think, maybe you want to go into a little bit more, what, or wherever you want to go with this. What did you do uh, next after realizing you deeply hurt someone you love? You've kind of talked about this in going to BYU-Idaho, but just do you want to talk more about that segment? Yeah, I would love to. I think when we unintentionally hurt someone, we try to minimize the impact and that's something um, that is common among narcissistic people and my mother would do that to me she would use the guise of love and safety when really she was just trying to protect her image as a mother and I realized that no matter how pure my intentions were if my behavior didn't reflect my intention then the intention doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I can't see your intentions. You can't see mine. It's something that's within us. It's in our hearts. And so we can only see our actions. And the actions are what matter. And that was something that took me a long time to digest, especially accepting my mother for who she is and the way that she raised me. Because I've realized that I needed to believe the patterns. I needed to believe her behavior. And her behavior needed to match 
who she was in my mind because in my mind I saw this strong Latter-day Saint woman one of the very first people to join the church in Singapore Wow! she was one of the very first people to go to BYU from Singapore like like she is she is an incredible woman and at the same time she was treating me really cruelly and I always thought that was mutually exclusive like if she was this amazing Latter-day Saint that it was my imagination or I was being dramatic or I was being too sensitive by asking her not to scream at me or to not be hostile towards me. And I minimized my own needs because of that, because I was trying to please her. And I always thought that I was asking for too much. But now I know that I wasn't and that being asked to be treated with respect with civility is not too much to ask of a parent. Um, that's a really good segment. And just, I'd, I'd love you to talk about your recovery process and, and I'd love you to talk about your husband. And just, it sounds like you got to the point in your recovery process where, I don't know if he was the next boyfriend. I don't know if you want to go into that <laughs> or if he was three down the line, but I sent you a different person by the time he came into your life. So you could talk about that or your recovery process, but those are the kind of the questions perhaps you could follow up with. Yeah, so with my recovery process, I started therapy when I was 22, and I was really scared. I felt like as I was growing and changing that my family was seemed so distant from me because I was becoming different from them and I was still trying to get their approval and please them and try not to rock the boat but over time as I continued to grow and they became more uncomfortable with my boundaries and saying no I realized that they were holding me back from growing and it hurts no child ever wants to be disconnected from their parent and no child like no sibling wants to be disconnected from their other siblings and when you're trauma bonded with someone it is common to be confused about the relationship because you have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in the relationship. And with my mother, I, I've had wonderful experiences with her. And at the same time, some of the lowest points in my life were because of arguments and conflict with her. And then when you look at a healthy relationship, for example, me and my husband it's consistently stable we're not perfect we occasionally have dips but it's consistently emotionally stable which is what i've always wanted and with children they feel safe when things are predictable when things are consistent and growing up now i know why i have anxiety because i didn't really know what kind of mother i would get that day when I would wake up, would she be really stressed and angry and yelling at us? 
or would she be taking us to the zoo and we would have a fun time? So that inconsistency was really stressful when I was growing up. And so with my husband now and with our son, that's something that's really important to us. You know, like our son knows every day we'll have lunch together as a family. We'll have dinner together as a family. It's safe and predictable. And for some people, it might sound really boring, but I love it. The stability makes me feel really safe. Did you talk um, with your, at some point in your relationship with your husband you and the dating process you opened up? I don't know if you want to talk more about your recovery. I'm going off to your husband now. It's um, interconnected. So. That's true. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you open up with him about your family situation and perhaps your own, here we go again, listeners, narcissistic um, tendencies? Because that would take some vulnerability, some courage, because you kind of lost a boyfriend um, and then you've done a lot of work. And so maybe you kind of knew you'd made enough progress that you felt confident that you were kind of past this and in a sustainable place where you could have a healthy relationship and you opened up. But I'm just curious, it might just help listeners when they, as they're opening up about a part of their past or a difficult family situation, just how you navigated that. Mm -hmm. Something that really helped me was to pray for the gift of discernment because growing up, I learned to not trust myself and I would doubt myself all the time because things were so unpredictable and as I was dating after my mission and healing from the way that I treated that boyfriend at the time and forgiving myself for hurting him I also had to learn to trust my own instincts and not be with someone because I was afraid of being alone. And that was part of my healing process as well because I dated another great guy and I didn't feel good about it. And my mother would say, oh, like he's wealthy and he's a good guy, just go for it, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, I just, I don't feel good about it. And and we broke up and it was civil. No one was screaming this time. And when I say no one, I meant me. It, it was a calm breakup. And, and I was grateful for that experience that I trusted myself to not proceed to get married to someone that I didn't feel good about because I really believed that I deserve to be with someone that I was completely in love with and that I didn't want to be with someone for the sake of not being alone. And so when I did meet my husband, we met at Institute in Seattle in Washington. That's where he's from. And I was single as a Pringle. That's why I moved to Washington because I was like, I can move anywhere in the world. Where should I go? I will go to Seattle And we met at Institute and the cool thing about our love story is that my husband, he grew up in a chaotic home as well. He grew up with a single mom with four other sisters and he and his sisters, they basically raised each other because my mother-in-law worked a lot and he had always dreamed of being a husband and a father 
and he had incredible young men leaders and bishops who took him under their wing and taught him simple things like how to shave and how to pass the sacrament and were father figures to him and so he had already done his own healing and he was working on himself so that he could be worthy to get married in the temple because he didn't have that himself and he really wanted that for himself and so when we came together we it was really practical like it's not the most romantic story because we were very like what are your finances like what are your thoughts on abuse do you watch pornography do you pay tithing we were just very like checking all these boxes to make sure that we were both honest and open with each other and I think that's why our relationship works because we're not afraid to be honest with each other and we're not honest in a way that's cruel because that's something that we both experience in our families when we would make a mistake and we would be shamed for it but I love our relationship and our marriage because we know what it's like to be shamed for making mistakes and we are very aware of each other's triggers and so yeah it works I to be honest with you I don't know if I would be married if I wasn't married to someone who also came from an unstable home this is a beautiful love story um I love um this story I love the way that you two found each other Um, As you went through that segment, I wrote down a couple of phrases that you needed to forgive yourself. And I think sometimes culturally, it's hard to forgive ourselves. We're almost sometimes, but I think it's it's part of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to forgive ourselves. And I love your idea of trusting yourself is that, um, and I think it's called, I like to call it as, faith-based decisions versus fear-based. The fear-based decision would be, I'm going to be alone. But you were making faith-based decisions. I'm going to find the partner based on the partner, not a fear of being alone for the rest of my life. And I think that's really, I think you're in a, in a great spot. And you did a lot of the work you needed to do to heal um, before you got married. But if you're in a marriage and you're kind of starting a healing process, let's say you've been in a marriage for 10 years and you recognize that you have narcissistic tendencies or are narcissistic, but you still have a desire to keep your marriage together, and there's a lot of pain there and a lot of work that needs to be done. I would say, you know, I'd want to give you hope that if you're willing to look inward, it sounds like in your case your mom wasn't willing to look inward and sort of go to therapy and say, I need to change. And if you're willing to look inward and say, you know, Lord, is it I? Do I actually need to change here? And do I need to do the hard work? Not the work that's easy for me or safe for me to do, but the hard work would involve therapy. And that I, I think both of us would want to give you hope that if there's a common goal to keep the marriage together and a common goal to do the hard things and not just point the finger at the other person that needs to change, but actually look inward and say, what do I need to do? That the principles that you're sharing in this podcast could apply to a couple that's in a really tough spot maybe at the brink of their marriage ending. But I think, um, back to personal revelation, I think it's sometimes the right thing is for a marriage to end. Um, Just like the right thing in your situation was to separate yourself from your mom. 
So I'm sure there's people out there that have needed to separate themselves from a narcissistic spouse. And I think we need to honor your personal decision and not feel like, well, you've, if you just tried a little harder to make that marriage work. And you can't say that to yourself, and hopefully we won't say that to people. So I think no one understands the complexity of another person marriage that ends to sort of judge that marriage. I think we just be kind. But your story is terrific because it does give hope to people in multiple spaces. But you've kind of got a formula here. You've got to look inward and be willing to change and do the hard work. Um, just a comment. Um, I think, and I mentioned this before in some of these podcasts where people do the hard work before they're married, is that I think the tools that you and your husband have will help your kids. And they will be safe with you. They, you will know how to communicate. They will feel like they can share the realities of their life. They don't need to be perfect. I think the culture of your family will be that if I'm a kid in your family, I just know that mom and dad are safe for me. And I don't need to be perfect. And But I'm in a family that's stable and loving, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but allows for me to be imperfect and know that my parents will love me as I open up to them. And I think that's because of the work both of you have done, I think those will be some of your greatest paydays is with your own kids. And perhaps some of the most healing will be you recognize as your kids do so well, they won't be perfect and you won't be perfect, but I think some of your greatest paydays where you see that this cycle's been fully broken and your kids aren't experiencing what you experienced and your grandkids. And the cycle's forever changed because of your courage and your friend's courage to walk you into the BYU-Idaho Counseling Center. And it seems like, and some of the work that you did, your patriarchal blessings, seeing, I love that you asked all these families about healthy relationships. I love you were curious and recognize that there's something different than your own experience. So I've talked a lot here, but I, so I'd love you to continue to share what's on your mind. Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I love your message of hope, and that's what you do, and I'm, I'm grateful for your example in my life because when we do make fear-based decisions, it can feel so isolating and it can feel hopeless, and the Savior is the embodiment of hope. He wants us to be happy. Men are that they may have joy, and sometimes when we are in narcissistic or emotionally abusive homes where people can't see wounds we have these invisible wounds it can be extremely difficult to see that there's a light at the end of the path and i did want to add though that like i had mentioned earlier i recognize that i used to be a toxic person and i used to hate myself and i hurt people while I was trying to find my own truth. And I just want to share with your listeners that you don't have to be afraid of recovery or healing. Yes, healing can have a treacherous, rocky path and you'll make mistakes on the way. I mean, I've offended people when I've asked them, like, how do you handle conflict in your marriage? Like, it, it, it isn't always a good experience when I asked someone that question when I was a YSA. And I wanted to add that 
you will go on different paths and you might even change your mind and say, hey, maybe therapy's not right for me or maybe I do want to end this marriage or maybe I don't want to go to therapy with my child. My child needs to figure things out and you're not fake and you're not a hypocrite if you change your mind. You're learning and it's important to be kind to yourself in the process because when you do grow up in a narcissistic family and your parents treat you like you're a burden or you're an inconvenience, the child continues to love their parent. I continue to love my parents no matter how they treated me, but I stopped loving myself in that process and the savior can help fill your soul with the love that you deserve for yourself and a question i like to ask people is if i asked you to write a list of what you love how long would it take you to write your own name loving yourself and respecting yourself is just as important as respecting god your spouse and your family i love that You've got lots of good insights. Keep sharing them, Marie. Oh, okay. I I did want to share something um, with you about the concept of choosing our family. That was something that I would hear growing up because I tried to run away a couple of times when I was growing up, and my mother would be like, "You chose me. You chose me. You chose me to be your mother, so you need to come back." And it wasn't until I was an adult as I started doing research on whether there was even a scripture or doctrine on whether or not we chose our families in the pre-mortal existence. And I found this quote from President Joseph Fielding Smith that I wanted to share. He said, We have no scriptural justification for the belief that we had the privilege of choosing our parents and our life companions in the spirit world. This belief has been advocated by some, and it is possible that in some instances it is true, but it would require too great of a stretch of the imagination to believe it to be so in all or even in the majority of cases. Most likely we came where those in authority decided to send us. Our agency may not have been exercised to the extent of making choice of parents or posterity. And that quote has brought me a lot of comfort because my husband and I, we've joked in the past before we discovered this quote that maybe in the pre-mortal existence when we were in the lineup to pick our parents, we were in the back row not paying attention or something. And this quote has brought me a lot of peace knowing that I may or may not have chosen my parents it was a way for me to come to this earth, but my family can no longer hold that against me. That was great. I've never heard that quote before. That okay. was a terrific quote. Um, and um, you may be rewinding that quote, listeners, to hear it a couple times. I love that, and I recognize the manipulation in your mother. Um, in a controlling, manipulative way. And I think that's an example of spiritual abuse where we look at scriptures or scripture stories or our doctrine 
and use a manipulative way in a controlling way more in a position of authority and that can happen you know in a parent child situation can happen in a a church leader situation i think we have to be really careful about you know using an i, I guess it's you know the priesthood and using it in an inappropriate way to control and um, if we're in a position of authority as a parent or a local leader whatever male to not use that privilege in a controlling way and i love what you just read and i I remember being, you're reminding me of experiences. I remember being in Sunday school class maybe 10 years ago, and the teacher, and I've heard this before, sort of talked about all of us that were born in the covenant, and I'm in a Salt Lake City ward where a lot of us were born in the covenant, and, you know, we're, and I think there was an inference in that lesson that we were more righteous than, you know, our fellow Latter day Saints that were not born in the covenant, or even maybe born in third world countries are born into poverty or born with no chance to hear the gospel and kind of coined a term in my mind that we can't re reverse engineer sort of where we are in this life and infer anything about our valiancy in the pre-mortal life and so i just be cautious about sort of like are anybody's station in mortality and sort of infer i think doctorally all we know is we chose the same plan and that we're children of the same heavenly parents. So I think that's the best way to look at people is just equal children of the same heavenly parents versus sort of, that's sort of a sister thought to what you brought on. More thoughts that come to your mind. You've got some really good ones. I want to make sure that we get them all out of you, Marie. Oh, I was actually going to ask you what your your thoughts were on the quote and you, what you said was incredible. Thank you for sharing. I... We'll add, though, quickly that you can love people from afar. And as a Latter-day Saint, I think, like what you said, you know, to not compare our righteousness or our valiancy, even in the pre-mortal existence that we don't even know about. And I mean, when I think about that concept, like, did I choose my mother or not, maybe I did. And maybe we both knew the mental health challenges that we would both face. And she knew that I would let her go. And, or at the same time, it's like, or maybe I was sent to break the generational generational cycle in my family. And yeah, it's just, it, it, it is a complicated situation. And if you do come from a narcissistic family where there is a lack of boundaries and responsibilities are blood, I would just recommend really to have nuanced conversations like this and stay away from he said she said blaming i mean i've changed so much and i still have family members who would bring up hurtful things i've done and said what three four five years ago and i'm not that person anymore and i take full responsibility for those things and sometimes people are uncomfortable with that like i had a family member who brought up something 
that I had done in the past and I said, yeah, that was horrible. I should not have done that. And I'm so sorry. And they were shocked because they expected me to defend myself and lash out because that's what I used to do. And that's a common tactic that we do in our family. And as you heal and grow, sometimes your family will be uncomfortable with your growth. They kind of want you to stay the same and not rock the boat and be compliant and be inauthentic. And that's something that I've had to accept and be okay with, that my family doesn't like who I am right now, but I do. And I love myself and I deserve love. And if, it, if my family doesn't want to give it to me, that's okay. I can have my chosen family. I have incredible friends who, who are basically my family. And I remember at our wedding, <laughs> my husband and I, we hired an awesome videographer. And he had asked us, do you want a shot with your friends or your family? We don't really have a lot of time. And we said our friends. And I remember the look on his face. He thought it was so bizarre. He was like, you're choosing your friends over your family. But really for our husband and I, our friends are our family. They truly accept us for who we are. And I feel like family doesn't have to be DNA. And God teaches us that we're all family. We're all brothers and sisters. And you and you mentioned earlier the commandment to love our neighbor as thyself. And in the doctrine of Marie... <laughs> Loving everyone doesn't mean you have to trust everyone or be friends with everyone or have a relationship with everyone. A lot of people always ask me, do I still love my mother? I do. I do love her. I'm grateful she brought me into this world and I love her from afar. You're in a really good spot. I mean, it, when I listen to people your age group and the things that you've learned and sort of your spiritual maturity, your intellectual maturity, your emotional IQ, that's a term I picked up. It just gives me hope for the future. Um, listeners, I just, I want to make sure you check out Marie's Instagram account because um, you do a good job of just starting discussions. Five types of narcissistic parents. I read through that one before. That okay. was really interesting. If you've experienced childhood trauma, this is for you. It's not your job to prove that you are lovable. You have just very good sort of catchy slides to pull people into these conversations. Um, a scar from having the mother, a mother wound. And I love your Instagram account and just the work you're doing. And I hope this podcast connects more to your account and your work and also just for people to turn to therapists to help them get through this. I love that you love yourself. I was reading the scriptures today in Second Nephi, men are that they might have joy. I changed that to mind to men and women. And we're meant to be we're meant to love ourselves. Um, it's okay to love ourselves, even if you know, we're not perfect. I think our heavenly parents love us. And I think you're doing it and I love that you've been honest about your own journey. You were honest earlier in the podcast that with that earlier boyfriend that he broke up with me. And I deserved it. And it's I did. You, you haven't deflected from that. And I think that's a sign of where you are. 
your self-awareness, your maturity, your honesty, and I think you're in a great spot. And it's an example for all of us. We're kind of at the end. I had a question that came to my mind way earlier, because um, often as a young girl, your relationship with your heavenly parents is influenced by your earthly parents, and you see them often as as the same type of people. You know, you because your heavenly parents are more at that point more abstract. Just how did you navigate developing a relationship with heavenly parents that was different than with your earthly parents? Um, and, and did, or did you separate your earthly parents and your heavenly parents a long time as a little girl? That's a great question. I definitely separated them early on in my life. I went to a Methodist school. Secondary school in Singapore is ages 13 to 16. And when I was at that school, I learned so much about God. And I was able to take what I was learning from the LDS church and what I was learning at this Methodist school and kind of combine it. And when I was at that school, I realized that I really was a child of God and that my earthly parents are mortal and they're not perfect, but God is perfect. And for a long time, I held on to that until I learned about narcissism and I realized that perfection wasn't even what I was asking from my parents. I was asking for civility and respect. And that distinction too helped me because I feel like sometimes in the LDS church, we put family units on a pedestal. Like look at this family, both parents served a mission, they both went to a church school. One is the eldest quorum president. We have these unrealistic ideas sometimes of what a Latter-day Saint family should look like. And I think, looking back now, I think my mother did feel that pressure being a pioneer member in Singapore to have these different callings. And it was hard for me sometimes because, I mean, I remember going to a ceiling a couple of years ago and this lady, I'd never met her in my life, but she came up to me and she was like, are you so-and-so's daughter? She said my mother's name. And I said, yeah, yes, that's my mother. And she started praising my mother, that she was her young woman president and, and my mom helped her. And after the ceiling, I went to the bathroom and I cried. I, I was I was still very fresh in my healing from maternal narcissism. And I remember praying to God, like, how come my mom couldn't be that for me? She was so kind and helpful to, to this particular woman. But why couldn't she be that for me? And that distinction between my earthly parents and my heavenly parents definitely helped me to see that I can ask for my I can ask for help from my heavenly parents and I couldn't ask for help from my earthly parents and that's okay because there were other ways that I could receive help. I love that you separated that and for those of you that don't have good relationship with parents, I do think the things that you're sharing Marie are heavenly parents 
just love us. There's a quote President Monson says that love is just there. It's not, I'm paraphrasing, it's not earned, it's not transactional. Um, it's just there. Nothing we can do can take us outside the love of our heavenly parents. And um, I think they can be disappointed if we don't keep the commandments or we don't, but I, I think the love is separate. I think it's just always there. And they will always be with us and always love us. And it's not sort of this transaction or this earned relationship. It's just there because we're their children. Um, we read this quote a lot on the podcast, Marie, but it's the wounded healer. Jake Watts shared me this about four years ago. And maybe you've heard it if you're a listener. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's been there. But you, like everybody, is a wounded healer. And you've been tremendously wounded. And you've sort of acknowledged, yeah, I've been really wounded. It wasn't my fault. But I've been wounded and I needed therapy to sort of heal myself. But then you're doing what I think our Heavenly Parents want us to do and what our Savior wants us to do is use the things that we've learned from our difficult experiences to be able to help others. And your Instagram account, your courage to be on this podcast, and your work as a life coach, and your role you'll play in your family, you're a wounded healer. And it's a great gift to give to other people. And it's an invitation for all of us to whatever difficult things that we've gone through to be able to use that to heal others. Other thoughts you'd like to share in closing, Marie? Thank you for sharing that quote. I, I've heard that that quote a couple of times in your podcast, and I love it. And being a wounded healer doesn't mean that you're not capable of hurting other people. Like I mentioned, I've hurt that one boyfriend I had talked about, and I've hurt family members. And being accountable for our actions is crucial in the healing and recovery process. You're not exempt from making mistakes just because you're a victim. And I just want to say that no matter what you've done, the Savior is there for you. He has died for those mistakes and those sins that you committed when you didn't know better. And that's something that has brought me a lot of peace because I have wrecked myself for many days and many nights over the things I've done and said before I knew about emotional abuse, before I knew about narcissism. And forgiving myself and letting go and moving on. Even when I have family members who are still kind of stuck in the past, I'm not responsible for their work that they need to do. I'm not responsible for their healing. And that has helped, that has, excuse me, that is something that has helped me to move forward that I'm only responsible for my own growth. I'm not even responsible for my husband's growth. He puts in the work to show up as the best husband and the best father. I'm not responsible for him. I'm only responsible for myself. And so I just want to say again, please be kind to yourself if you recognize narcissism in your family as you're listening to this episode. Thank you, Marie Ellis Cook. This is a terrific episode. I'm so glad you acted on your impression to reach out and we got this podcast recorded. It will help a lot of people. It's helped me. Um, I love what I, you just have so many gold nuggets. You're not responsible for others' healing. Um, 
That's a relief, and it's true. I remember Elder Scorn President talked about his wife was going through a hard spot. He says, be her husband, not her savior. <laughs> it was sort of the spiritual impression. So we can't be everybody's therapist. We can't be everybody's savior. We're not responsible for other people's healing, and that is relieving in some ways. So thank you, Marie Ellis Cook. We'll link to her Instagram in the show notes so you can check out some of these things we've talked about. And act on the impressions you felt would be our joint invitation to just do better in this space. So this is Richard Oster and Marie Cook signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you are a married woman and grew up with narcissistic parents, I have a Facebook community just for you. The link for it is in this episode's description. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.